Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Scattered Abroad Joint Podcast. This is season number four, episode number one. We're so grateful to kick off another season here at the Scattered Abroad Network. It is crazy to think that this is our fourth year of being in existence. Uh, it's crazy to think that we are here, um, that we have had all of the success that we have had thus far. Uh, obviously, all glory to God. We understand that without him, we couldn't do any of these things, These things, and we're grateful to him for giving us this opportunity and for us to be able to gather together uh, specifically here this week at Polishing the Pulpit and to do all of our recording. Uh, I've got a great group of guys with me to do uh, this particular podcast. I've got Michael Clark to my right, co- uh, fellow co-director and yes, also host of the Far Better Podcast, which comes out every Wednesday. To his right, Chase Green. Um, he is the host of the Everyday Christian Podcast, which comes out every Monday. And then to my left, we have Drew Suttles, host of the Weathering the Storm Podcast, which comes out every Thursday. You can find all of these podcasts on our website at scatteredabroad.org, um, or you can go to whatever podcast platform it is that you wish or desire to listen to, search those specific podcasts, or you can find all of them on one feed, that being the Scattered Abroad Network Master Feed. And if that's what you wish, then that is there for you, and we are just appreciative of all of your support. We're going to jump right in to this uh, this first episode, um, and I think it was maybe I think it was Michael who at the end of last episode, which was just a month ago, um, when he uh, debuted our our theme uh, this year, uh, that being assaults on the church. And Michael, obviously, this is something extremely important to consider. Yeah, there's so many things that happen in the church right now that are either not talked about or they're they're talked about even in some ways, but not really deeply covered. Right. And we need to cover these types of things because the devil is using all of these to try to drive a wedge between the members of his of God's body and trying to keep us from focusing on what matters. And abortion is a big part of that. Yeah, you're exactly right. And like um, Michael just mentioned, we're talking about uh, abortion and really a, kind of a heavy way to start a season, but certainly a, a uh, a topic that is extremely important, one, like Michael said, is not talked about enough or in enough detail um, to make sure that we know what it is that we're talking about. And that's the unfortunate thing. We have a lot of Christians who know that abortion is wrong, but they don't really know why it's wrong, or maybe they don't fully understand what it is. And so we're going to try to answer some of those things um, today on this particular episode. So let's talk about this first question, guys. Let's just define terms here. What exactly is an abortion? There's a politically correct view Uh, And the politically correct way to talk about abortion, I think we do need to cover because that's what you're going to hear so often said. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just typed into my dictionary on my computer, hey, what is abortion? And it said it's the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, most often performed during the first 28 weeks of pregnancy. And there was a secondary definition that says there's an expulsion of a fetus from the uterus by natural causes before it is able to survive independently. Uh, I want to really kind of focus on the word natural causes there, mm-hmm. uh, because what we're going to get into in this episode is anything but natural causes. Right. And so that's something I thought was interesting that the dictionary is trying to tell us, hey, this is natural. What we're doing is a natural thing. It's not uncommon. It's not something that's out of the ordinary. It is completely fine, completely natural. And I just got to, you know, be curious. And I said, well, what does it mean to be pregnant then? So mm-hmm. I typed right. into the same dictionary, what is pregnancy? And being pregnant means it's a woman or a female animal having a child or someone that is young, in the case of animals, developing in the uterus. Why is the word child not found in the word abortion? Right. And it's because they're, they're trying to really kind of, you know, pull something over your eyes. They want to pull the wool over your eyes and make right. it seem like this isn't a child. This is, this is a fetus. This is not a human living being. 
uh, because they're not able to survive independently yet or they haven't made it past 28 weeks. And so that that's the politically correct way to talk about this. And it's the biggest way that you're going to hear it kind of promoted throughout our country and our world. It's purposeful dehumanization mm -hmm. using the terms fetus and just the pregnancy, which right. they, they would then turn and, and define pregnancy differently than we would and really uh, has always been defined throughout human history. Uh, the, the true definition of a pregnancy is a human child, a human life. But unfortunately, now we're getting into changing the definitions mm -hmm. to suit what uh, modernists have come up with. Oh, well, it's not its not a human life, it's right. just a fetus. Well, and think about it, why not call it a human life, right? Because right. it makes it so easy to talk about how it's its so, you can just take it away, right? If you just call it a fetus or a lump of, uh, of matter, a lump of cells or whatever, you know, then you're, you're taking the, the value and, and the worth out of it that God has put in there. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Drew, you got something to add to that? No, I'm waiting on the next question. Okay. All right. Wow. We'll go for it. Let's go to question number two. <laughs> um, does the Bible condemn or condone abortion? So I'd like to start if that's all right. <laughs> go I'm for it. Kind of Sounds leading great. up to this thought is like what, what Chase just said is so important because when you hear fetus or blob of tissue, then you miss what the Bible actually says. That's a human being. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a human made in the image of God. And the definition that Michael just gave, the same one I, I looked up to, the deliberate termination of a human pregnancy. Well, what is that? You're deliberately terminating a human life is what you're doing. But if you word it that way, especially from the political spectrum, now all of a sudden you, you know, get to emotions and things like that. But that's what it is. And unfortunately in our society, we've, we've kind of, as a whole, we shy away from calling things what they really are. And yeah. as Christians, we've got a responsibility to do that. So here's some passages to consider. Genesis 9-6 the shedding innocent blood, you're going to pay for that. Right. Proverbs 6, 16 through 18. What does God hate? The hands that shed innocent blood. What else is shedding the innocent blood of a, of a baby? Right. Well, God despises that. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Yeah. 1 John 3, 15. Revelation 21, 8. No murderer, if they don't repent of that, no murderer has, has their part in eternal life. So does the Bible condemn or condone it? The Bible condemns it. Absolutely. Because abortion is murder. You're murdering uh, you're taking someone's life, and an innocent life at that. Yeah, the Bible always condemns the un unauthorized taking of human life. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some examples of authorized taking of human life in the Scriptures, such as uh, in warfare, if it's a just war. Uh, you can see the entire book of Joshua, for instance. Uh, also, you know, there's the death penalty, and you can see Romans chapter 13, verse 4, governments do not bear the sword in vain, and that deals with the death penalty. So that would be an authorized uh, taking of human life for the purpose of punishing evildoers. And Romans 13 actually talks about how governments uh, are God's instrument, if you will, for punishing evildoers. But for every instance of authorized taking of human life in the Bible, you've got way more unauthorized taking of human life. And I'll just give a, a few examples. Uh, you know, you've got from the beginning with Cain murdering his brother Abel, Genesis chapter 3. Exodus 20, verse uh, 13, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. And that's talking about murder. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, the betrayal and murder of our Lord as well. Acts uh, 2, verse 23, talks about how uh, they had taken with wicked hands and they had crucified and slain our very Lord, the Son of, of God. And so that's just a few examples of the unauthorized taking of human life. It happens throughout the scriptures. 
Um, and anytime you see blood-stained hands uh, in the scriptures uh, in regard to, mu- to murder, it is a horrible, horrible thing, and it's condemned by right. God. I think it's important to note, too, when we're talking about this, understanding the value of human life and where that begins, right? The idea of, of life beginning at conception. Mm-hmm. When you think about this, you walk it all the way from the beginning, really, of the Bible, right? Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27, mm-hmm. uh, the, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Jump down to verse 26, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God who created him, male and female, who created them. So you're seeing the value and the worth, the unique nature of mankind um, being the pinnacle of God's creation. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about Psalm 139, 13 and 14, David said, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. This my soul knows very well. The language being used there by David, showing personhood, right? Showing life in the womb. Um, I think about Luke chapter 1, um, where, and you look at Luke chapter 1, verses 41, and also verse 44. Um, there, the, in a couple of times, the word babe is used. And if you go to the Greek language, that word babe is a Greek word, brephos. And it literally means an unborn child or a newborn child or a babe. But what's extremely revealing is if you continue on reading, you get to chapter 2 and verse 16. The Bible says, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. In Luke 1, the baby hadn't been born. In Luke chapter 2, this baby had been born. He was outside of the womb. And guess what? Right. The exact same, same word, word is used there, yeah. the word brephos. Um, you also go back to chapter 1, verse 36. The Bible says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. That word son, again, is the exact same word there. So a lot of verses and passages that talk about the the, the worth of human life being in the womb. Did you get <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 1? I did not mention that one. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah was ordained as a prophet uh, from the right. womb as well. So right. that would be another example. Right. So just certainly all kinds of you know, passages that talk about just the uniqueness and the value of human life, which immediately, you know, puts to rest the arguments of, oh, well, there's no life and there's no value. And well, there certainly is. And you can see that by reading through Scripture. Well, and part of the problem with abortion that we're talking about, even if someone tries to argue that it's for legitimate reasons, and we'll get into those in a few minutes, I know. Mm -hmm. But when you really boil it down and you really go back and you look at it, it's almost always a matter of convenience. Right. It's a convenience for the, you know, mother who was not expecting to have a child. It's a convenience for maybe their relationship, her career, whatever it might be, school. I can't have a baby right now. Well, we need to remember what the benefit of children are because in Psalm 127 and verse 3, we're told children are a detriment from the Lord. <laughs> children are a problem. Children are an issue. No, children are a heritage. Now, right. That idea of heritage, really in other translations and other verses, it talks about the idea of an of inheritance. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do when we have children is they are to take from us the blessings that we have received. They're supposed to inherit what we have. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible tells me in Ezekiel that the son is not supposed to inherit the sins of the father. Well, if he doesn't inherit the sins of the father, nor should he inherit the consequences of the sin in the case of being punished for something that he did not do. I do know that, and we we could talk about it if we needed to, but I know there are some things that you could do if if a mother that was expecting drank alcohol during a pregnancy. There may be some consequences that come upon that child because of what the mother did. But those are things that are done because the mother did something inappropriate during the pregnancy. The mother doing something inappropriate to become pregnant should never be a detriment to that child. It should never be something where a child that is supposed to be a blessing from God, as arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior, happy is he whose quiver is full. Mm -hmm. The idea behind that is if your quiver has a lot of arrows in it, you're supposed to be happy not going, 
great, how are we going to make it through this? And we have two guys on the network with us right now on this podcast whose quivers are bursting. Oh. You know, they are absolutely full, and they are blessed because of that. Amen. I know financially it may seem like they're not at times and other things, but ultimately when we look back at the children that God has blessed us with, you, you can't help but let your heart melt a little and realize what a blessing it is. And there's so many things that are interesting. I don't know if we covered Genesis 25, 23, but God spoke as Jacob and Esau as being presently living and future nations. Well, if you're presently living, then you're not yet alive. If I'm presently living right now, meaning I am alive mm-hmm. and I am somewhat well. You know, we can talk about other things, you know, in that well. regard. But, you know, that's the idea is presently living. No one says about us when the child is born, well, they're yet living. Yeah. No, they're, they're alive. Yeah. And I do think some of it, unfortunately, and I'd love to hear what y'all think about this because it's just an interesting thing. Our terminology of, well, I'm nine months pregnant can sometimes be a detriment to this conversation mm-hmm. of, we talk about the child. I know our birthday is different than the day we find out that we're having a child. Right. But I, I had a situation once where someone even, I heard someone say, well, they're not a dad yet. Right. Well, if they're not a dad yet, then that child's not yet alive. Right. Yep. And if that child's not, yet, not alive yet, then the argument for abortion becomes strengthened. Right. It actually helps that person to say, hey, the child's not living yet. Okay, then it shouldn't matter if we terminate it. Because that's the idea. The, the whole crux of the argument is the child's not living. That's what they want to say. It's why it's called a fetus. It's why it's not called a baby anymore. That's why so many people are trying to promote that. Because if you can prove that the child is not really a child, you can get rid of it and it doesn't sting as much. But we know different. And I, I appreciate what you mentioned with the, the brephos because mm-hmm. the Greek, we don't use the Greek language today. Right. But when they would use the <clears throat> same word... It's, it didn't really look at anybody, and, and they would say, well, those are different. They right. would know, oh, mm-hmm. this is a child. He's alive, and he's been living since we found out that we were pregnant. Or we even use the word baby the same way, right? You talk about a baby inside of the mother's womb or a baby outside. It's, I mean, in concept, it's really the same thing. I think about uh, one more passage and we'll move on, but I think about some, you know, some of the laws that God put into place at the very beginning for his people, too. I think back at Exodus chapter 21, beginning of verse 22, um, where he says, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay as the judge determines. Um, for if any, but if any harm uh, follows, then you, then you shall give life for life. So essentially God is laying right. out this law of the land, right? But he's saying if two individuals are fighting by accident, they, they injure a pregnant woman. If that woman goes into premature labor, mother and baby are fine, great. But if, if there's something that happens... Essentially, it's eye for an eye, and the whole point of that is the fact that the both the mother and the unborn child are equally protected, right? If, the, yeah. if, the, if there was no value or worth, there would be the point of the protection of it, um, and that's exactly where we're at today because there is no protection for yeah. um, for, for, for a child who, who is in the womb. So it's really unfortunate, you know, the, the the time in which we are, the way people view this particular topic. Chase? Yeah, just something real quick on that. Uh, a lot of times the, they will use the terminology viability. And I've got, right. a, I've got a quick point that I make in one of our sermons on uh, Sermon of the Week about that. I think it's called Choose Life. You can go back and listen to it. But uh, basically their point is, well, as long as the baby is uh, not viable yet, then you can go ahead and terminate the pregnancy. But, it, but right. once it's viable, then you can't do that anymore. And some, some of the abortionists will make that argument. My three-year-old 
If I were to take her yep. and drop her off in the middle of the woods somewhere and give her some camping equipment and say, all right, good luck, I'll see you in a week, she wouldn't make it. That's exactly right. That she no, wouldn't be viable right. as a three-year-old outside of the womb. Viability right. has nothing to do with it. We or are to protect about human it, life. Think about an older person, right? Somebody yeah. who right. is unable to take care of themselves just because they're in that state doesn't mean you know they've lost their worth as, as an individual, right. Right, as a person. And what's amazing about that, Caleb and Chase, is the fact that the Babylonians were considered a fierce nation. And part of what the Babylonians did was they left behind the young who could not fend for themselves and work for Babylon. And they left behind the old who could not fend for themselves and work for Babylon. If you didn't provide anything of note that would help Babylon itself, you were left to die. And what God and everybody else said about Babylon was they're a terrible nation. And yet we are destroying human life left and right Mm -hmm. and acting like it's no big deal. And we're supposed to say that we're righteous. I found these, and I mentioned this to Caleb before we, you know, got on this podcast. The Middle Assyrian laws, which date back as far as the early 11th century, specifically even addressed abortion. That blew my mind. Like we're we're talking about something that we think is since the 70s, you know, been a huge issue. This early 11th century B.C., They had a collection of legal codes, and part of it was that abortion was prohibited. It was a serious offense against the state and was punishable by death. The two reasons that were listed were abortion was an offense against familial ties because of the mother-child relationship. It was a crime against the state because it killed future citizens, particularly soldiers. So we understand back then, and if a woman was found guilty of inducing an abortion, she would be impaled on a stake and denied burial. Like, you talk about how far we've come from the idea of this is a heinous crime, it's a horrible thing. Even the Roman Empire had originally said that it was legal and then later decided against it because they realized that children provided immaterial benefits, they realized they provided citizenship to them and that they were to be able to help. And the value of children, this is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary, makes it difficult to imagine abortion being a universally accepted practice in the Roman Empire, even when it was legal. Over time, it was increasingly frowned upon within Rome and was eventually prohibited. And there are ancient methods of abortion. I don't think we have to get into all of that. But the the idea behind the Lexham Bible Dictionary is this is not something that is from the 70s. We talk about it that way because that's all we've ever known. And that's the generation in which we live. But when you go back and you study, and I, I challenge anybody, if your ears are burning right now and you're not happy with us, it's your responsibility to do what we have done and do what others are doing, which is go back and read these things because, yeah. I mean, the, the Didache said, do not abort a fetus or kill a child that is born. And yet there are even some abortions that the child is delivered and then killed because the mother doesn't want the baby. Well, you know what? If you don't want the baby, don't do anything that might produce a baby. That's right. the easiest answer. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. Let, let's let's talk about this. We've got just about ten minutes left on this one, so let's let, let's get to this next question. Um, <clears throat> are there any circumstances that might provide abortion as an option that would be okay to consider? And you know, this is one of those things. You know, people say, "Well, what about all of these circumstances that might come upon the situation where the woman is forced to abort?" What would you guys say to something like that? No. The first, yeah, that's right. The first thing that pops to my mind is how extremely rare those cases are. Right. Sure. But when it's brought up, you know, it's 2024 as we're recording this to, to look forward to an election year. When this stuff is brought up, that's what's going to be said. 
You know, it's going to say, well, what about a rape victim? Mm-hmm. Or what about this or that? I understand and that we have sympathy, obviously, for someone in that situation. I came across this study, a man by the name of, of Wadi. I thought this was amazing. He said, there are psychological factors involved which affect conception. Our benevolent creator so made the feminine reproductive system so that she rarely conceives under the trauma of a rape situation. I thought that was pretty powerful. And you consider less than 1%, this is from the same study, less than 1% of our annual million and a half abortions are for hardship cases such as rape, deformity, incest, and threat to the mother's life. A scientific study was made of rape victims treated in the Minneapolis-St. Paul hospitals. A 10-year study, which dealt with some 3,500 cases, showed not one case of this kind of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So over a 10-year period, you take these pregnancies and you pick 3,500 and you look at them, and not a one of them. So I'm not saying that this is not a, a difficult thing, yeah. But when it's brought up in, in the world today, it's as if this happens all the time. Right. And it doesn't. Right. It's, it's what people are used to doing. They're trying to come up with a million what-ifs and hypotheticals mm-hmm. to justify something that they want to do yeah. for the obvious reason that is obviously wrong. All of it is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But the more obviously wrong, uh, the same, you know, we could delve into marriage and stuff like that and divorce and, and all that. And they will come up with a million hypotheticals to try to justify what they're doing. It's the same thing with this. Right. It's it's looking for extreme examples that, like like Drew said, we still have sympathy for people who are in those situations, but being in a bad situation in life doesn't give you the right to take a human life. And that's right. the point: is the child still has a right to live. Right. The fetus is not less human. Right. Don't punish the, regardless the child. of how it happened. Right. Right. It's right. still a human. So according yeah. to statistics, like you were saying, that's actually less than one percent of yeah. all abortions yeah. take place because of a rape. Um, so obviously it's wrong, but let's just, you know, you could play their game in some sense too. So let's mm-hmm. just say this. Let's just say that maybe it is, that isn't okay. You know, that, that, that abortion could happen because of rape. Let's just say that for a moment just, just to play their game. The large majority of rape victims themselves actually don't even believe that yeah. rape is actually the answer, or that abortion is actually the answer. There was a study that was done um, a while back, and it said about three-fourths or 75% of all victims actually themselves, as the victim said, that abortion was not the answer. So it's an agenda that people are pushing, and they're using these people who are in a horrible situation to push their own agenda. They don't care about life. But if you you say that they're right, well, what if the mother, the victim of the rape, wants to keep the child, but then what if a year later decides she doesn't want the child? Well, what then? According Mm -hmm. to their logic, could you just get rid of it? Absolutely you could. Mm -hmm. So where where do you draw the line? You can't draw a line with their own logic. Well, and, and John Ankerberg and John Weldon wrote a book called When Does Life Begin? and 39 Other Tough, Co- Tough Questions About Abortion. And they wrote in there that the former U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop observed the following. Protection of the life of the mother as an excuse for an abortion is a smokescreen. Yep. In my 36 years of pediatric surgery, I have never known of one instance where the child had to be aborted to save the mother's life. If toward the end of the pregnancy, complications arise that threaten the mother's health, the doctor will either induce labor or perform a cesarean section. His intention is to save the life of both the mother and the baby. The baby's life is never willfully destroyed because the mother's life is in danger. And they go on to write this, Ankerberg and Weldon. In other words, what is the motive of those justifying abortion? Is using a possible threat to the mother's life a reason to end the life of the child? Or must there be clear and immediate danger of death to the mother? If there is, then preferences to be given to the life of the mother. But when possible, all efforts to save the life of the child are employed. But 
in an ectopic pregnancy, the doctor has no choice. Yeah. He can either save the mother or lose both the mother and the child. If it is truly impossible to save both lives, the doctor should certainly save one, but it should not be done only on the basis of a lesser of two evils mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not a, well, the mother needs to live, so we're going to kill the child. Right. Mm -hmm. You do everything you can to save both. And I, I want to say this, and I know we all agree with this because it, it, it just needs to be said. Any doctor who willingly offers, as one doctor did to my mother when she found out she was pregnant with me, to, to consider the idea of an abortion is not worth their salt, should lose their license, and ought to be ashamed of themselves because you take an oath to protect and preserve That's human right. life. That's right. And the innocent lives, people that you know that go to the hospital, the doctor tries to do everything he can to help them. Mm -hmm. Not in the case of abortion mm -hmm. in so many cases, unfortunately, and that's a shame. No, that's not a doctor. A no. doctor helps human life, uh, brings people back to health. Right. Not, right. not right. take human life. Right. Yeah, people say all the time, you know, they give all of these arguments. You know, they say, well, my body, my choice, right? Or one of the things Chase had mentioned, well, what if the fetus is not viable? Or, you know, they say, well, what if the child's going to be born with, with birth defects? Or, you know, things like that. And ultimately, what it all boils down to is what Michael mentioned at the very beginning of this, how this is simply a matter of convenience, right? 40% of all women said that their abortion happened simply because they weren't prepared financially um, and they were not ready for yeah. a long-term commitment. 36% of all women said they felt that they were not in the right stage of life. 31% of all women said it was because they were not in a healthy relationship. 29% said they would rather focus on the children that they already have and they didn't want another one. 20% said they were worried about how it would impact their careers. 19% said they were emotionally unprepared. Another study shows that it is around, the same study that showed it's around 1% that have abortions due to being a victim of rape, 6% due to there being complications within the pregnancy, leaving 93% being due to the unwanted nature of the child itself wow. so yep. it's just simply a convenient murder um and i don't that's one of the best ways to put it because it yeah. is all about you as an individual what do i want what makes my life easier it really is it's all about selfishness so that begs the question as we close this out what can we do to people who have had abortions and i think this is a, this is vitally important to, to talk about because it's the same way with any kind of sin but for some reason we tend to look at things like this and we tend to say, you know, you have the hateful eye. And again, I, Drew and I were talking just the other night about some of these particular issues and topics. It's like the church handles it in one of two ways. Either you sweep it under the rug and you just hope that, you know, you don't have to talk about it and therefore it's not an issue. Or two, you respond with hatred and anger towards yeah. the person and not the issue itself. So right. what can we do to help those who have, who have had abortions in just a couple of minutes that we have left? I think we need to remind them that, that God loves them. Absolutely. And that they can be forgiven. Right. Yeah. You know, Saul of Tarsus was a murderer. He was forgiven. Right. And Saul would later in First Timothy chapter 1 says, I I'm the poster child for the grace of God. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, if I can be saved from the depths that I went to, anybody can. Uh, I would say remind them of that, but also point them back to the scriptures of the sanctity of life, not just the life that, that's gone, but their life as well. Yeah. Because they might be going through such, uh, you know, just beating themselves up and depression because of what they did. And maybe for some of the reasons that Caleb just gave, you know, it wasn't convenient, or maybe their their spouse talked them into it, whatever. They're beating themselves up, and, and they who are they going to turn to? Right. If yeah. they turn to the church, we need to be able to help them and Absolutely. say, hey, God loves you, we love you, you can be forgiven of this, and you can move forward. Yep. But they don't need to hear, oh, well, you're done, sorry, you made a mistake. Right. right. First know? Corinthians uh, chapter 6, yep. verses 9 verse through 11. 11. Yep. Yeah. There's so many uh, things in that list. We, we view them as atrocious, horrible right. things, but all sins are equally atrocious before a holy God. Mm -hmm. But anyways, uh, in verse 11, 
those were in their past. Yep. Uh, so that's they where were of those things, yeah. but now they're washed, they're justified, they're sanctified. Yep. And so we need to be preaching that message of exactly. forgiveness through Christ, through his gospel, his blood that washes away our sins uh, for anybody, including somebody who has committed this terrible thing. And, exactly. and yes, they might still have grief over what they did. But, you know, as you mentioned, Paul, he had that yeah. grief for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He, he considered himself the least of all saints right. because of, I think, I think that's because of his past. He had been murdering Christians. But uh, we need to be willing to understand that, hey, God has forgiven me of whatever it is that's in my past. Yeah. And so I need to move forward. And I need to maybe, because of my unique perspective, maybe uh, help somebody who might be dealing with the same yeah. same thing or, or same temptation in life. Yeah, the Gospel and Abortion is a book written by Russell D. Moore and Andrew T. Walker. I'd recommend if you're struggling with the thought of maybe getting an abortion, that you go and you buy this book and you read the letter that was written in the front from a fellow mother who had an abortion, and she said it nearly ruined her life and just made her almost have no ability to continue to function because of the decision that she made. It's not just a one-person decision. You're affecting the life of an innocent child. And we need to, like Drew said, lift them up in prayer, tell them that we love them, show them that God loves them. But then we need to try to teach them a better way. Yeah, Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. Forgiveness can be had. God is going to love them. You you think about this from the perspective of people who might be listening to this who already have had an abortion, too. You know, there's... It's not that you're in an unforgivable state. You certainly can because if you are willing to give your life over to God, repent of your sins, there's a path laid right before you that you can walk on that gets you back into a relationship with God. And we as the church um, would had better make sure we continue to preach that message time and time again. I think we need to also um, hit it from this standpoint as well. I think it's also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. talks about how uh, those who find themselves in fornication, sexual immorality, they're sinning against their own body. We need to warn young people, hey, you know, you could find yourself in a very difficult situation where this temptation might come up because you're not uh, remaining pure in in that regard, too. That's probably another uh, facet of this conversation we need to have with young people, especially. It's tough to cover a topic like this in 30 minutes, um, and there's so many more things we could have talked about. it. I'm sure that we have all preached on it at one point or another, you know, 30, 40 minute sermons just from each of us. So a lot of things we could have talked about, but hopefully the message we got across to you, obviously abortion is a sin. It puts you in uh, in a state of where you cannot be in a relationship with God. And yet it is something that certainly you can come back from. You can gain the forgiveness of God because of his love for you and because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for each one of us and how grateful we are for that. Thank you so much for listening to this particular episode here on the Scattered Abroad Podcast. We're so grateful that you have joined us. Uh, looking forward to being with you next month as we continue our joint podcast with this theme of assaults on the church. As always, we're grateful. Please continue to keep our network in your prayers. Go to our website, scatteredabroad.org. Sign up for our email list. Scroll all the way down on our website. Put in your name, your email. Um, if Whatever podcast you listen to, if you would, give it a rating and review, subscribe, share, do all of those things to help us out, and certainly we would be most appreciative of that. Again, looking forward to being with you next month on the joint podcast. Until then, thank you so much, and God bless.